Jusuru Prabhu again. Um, Rabindra, you were speaking about a function of representative of disciplic succession, we'll just say that, your know, guru, is to speak with realization in a relatable way to others. So the question has to do with <clears throat> that seems to require experience in order to speak with realization in a relatable way to a particular audience. But maybe there's a seat for you up here. And actually I'd like Brookmini you to speak on this question also. So however, ISKCON is a preaching movement and this is this is specifically addressed for those younger devotees, you know, the next wave of leaders, those who we would wish to come to that position in time of directing the movement. Um, there's hardly time to gain experience besides, you know, the regular challenges of life and the leadership challenges where we have to organize festivals and host visiting sannyasis and care for others. So for the younger set of incumbent future leaders of our society, um, how to maintain steady vertical growth in their lives. And that's why I'm calling on Media to also respond. You know, connecting and gaining further realization through, because it requires experience. I, I, I'll, I'll handle it. For, for myself, um, every devotee should have some means of preaching or teaching Krishna consciousness to others. Even if it's a little bit, it should be there. If it's your regular service, that's great. If it's not your regular service, you have to make some arrangement. It just has to be there. Because that's how you gain realization. No, when, when I was a new devotee, at that time, uh, the whole temple went out every day on Sankirtan, that is to say on the streets. Half the temple chanted, the other half stood on the four corners. It was a main rod and chestnut in Philadelphia. We stood on the four corners. One hour, then we changed. And every hour we switched, chanting. And so the first time I went out, uh, I said, what am I, we're distributing back to Godhead magazines. But people would ask questions. I said, say, what, you know, what do I tell them? Just, just preach what you've heard. Don't speculate. Just preach what you've heard. And so people would ask me questions. And if I knew the answer, if I heard it, 
I'd repeat it. And I'd say, if I didn't know the answer, I'd say, I don't know the answer to that question. I'm new here. If you come tomorrow, I'll, I'll find out the answer and tell you. And then at the end of the, 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 the session, I had questions for everybody. Well, somebody asked me this. What's the answer to this? What's the answer to that? And because I had to teach, I, I learned. And first I would just repeat it in, in Prabhupada's words, but gradually they became my own words. Same idea, same message, but it somehow it became inflected with, with, with my own way of speaking. And of course I was speaking to the people, I'd have to adjust that way. So that, that was very, very good uh, practice. So if you just put ourselves in a position and then then uh, sooner than much sooner than I was ready I, I became the temple president and then I had to give class all the time and again you know I started to have to give classes what to do well Prabhupada cassette tapes were just coming so I just listened to them and because I had to give class I'd repeat them people say yeah that was a great class you know well, because it was all Prabhupada it was just <laughs> but if you if you if you speak it and, and, and repeat it it'll become your own you know it makes you think about it it makes you makes you digest it it makes it uh, and so you need some kind of experience like that and I think that every, every devotee should have some kind of program and especially these days uh, with modern communications on, on Facebook or Twitter or something there's usually a way that even if you're fairly isolated or you don't have a lot of time in the day you can you can do something to uh, uh, give Krishna consciousness to other people and and, uh, and, and spread Krishna consciousness among people who and you have to see, you know, who the audience is, what they're interested in, what they're... Uh, well, the first article I, I ever wrote for Back to Godhead was called The Yoga of Eating. You know, it's just a, about, about so, something like that. Everybody's interested in food and... <laughs> <laughs> and people were interested in yoga. In fact, originally I wrote it for a yoga journal and it was published in Back to Godhead magazine. So, you know, the yoga of eating. And then you have an audience and certain people and you can then try to... Whenever I would start writing for Back to Godhead, I would imagine somebody I'm talking to. And I would imagine every time I'd, I'd write something, that how are they thinking about this? What are their questions? What are their doubts? So that every article I wrote was a kind of a dialogue. And I would think of what they might be saying or how they might reacting or what their doubts and what their objections are. And, and, and so once you start writing, because Prabhupada had said, Prabhupada himself said, everyone should write something. He said, write your realization, whatever you've understood in Krishna consciousness, you should write it. Uh, so that's another way of talking. And the nice thing about writing, you can usually edit yourself a little bit. <laughs> Remove some of the imperfections. <laughs> so, so anyway, that's that's one suggestion, and and and, and it's so much important for our own spiritual life. Everyone should do it. And if you if you start with whatever you can, I th I think you'll find that Krishna will clear the way to, to give you some facility that you can you can uh, you you can increase in this way, in spite of everything else that's going on.
थे that it's the responsibility of someone representing the civic succession and that and that means functioning as a type of guru to speak with realization and in a relatable way and to do that requires experience but we're so busy 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 where does that opportunity for experience comes and specifically um what advice can you give to the younger leaders for maintaining steady vertical growth in their life Well, the the answer for me really seems to be based on relationship. Um, we've heard in the last few days that that um, the whole process of Krishna consciousness or bhakti is is about relationship. It's God in relationship, Krishna's devotees in relationship. It's all about relationship. So. Um, I believe that if there's strong mentor mentoring relationships based on trust and respect between older and younger devotees that 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 vertical relationship will be strong um I'm I'm thinking of uh an example given by Carl Jung where he said that um Well, sometimes we hear this statement youth is wasted on the young you know the youth can be so impetuous but but so Carl Jung said something that that uh the young man can be very enthusiastic but sometimes go to fanaticism and the old man can be very wise but sometimes tending towards cynicism so if the if the young young one and the older one come together and and bring out the best in each other then there can be a, a, a very balanced and proactive relationship so i think that's really important um i remember living here at gidanagri some years ago when goravani was small and there was a lawsuit going on and and i was assisting with um, the dealings with the, the attorney and he said something interesting he said why is it when i meet you hari krishnas on the street they seem to be uh fanatical and immature and i can't relate and then i come here to the farm and i meet people who are intelligent sophisticated articulate why is that why are you people putting your worst foot forward <laughs> what's what's with you but it's it's sort of an interesting thing because as dysfunctional as it sounds to an outsider for one who takes the process seriously as rabindrasarup prabhu was just describing he was really a new devotee but he was so pro- proactive in his dealings well if i don't know so i'll find out and then he would find out and then he was sharpening the sword of his the blade of his intelligence and his discrimination so you know prabhupad would give the example that um 
that in, in the material world, if someone wants to become a high court judge, they have to have many years of, of experience studying the law books, um, sitting, you know, be acting in the job work of an, doing the work of an attorney, and then one day possibly they can sit on the judge's bench. But in Krishna consciousness, it's the opposite that we're sitting on the judge's bench, and then the qualifications come. So why do we put our worst foot forward by sending uneducated people out on the street to preach? Because we're all about preaching, right? So sometimes we send the worst representatives out into the street, but we want them to be good representatives. And so that's that's our job. And it's the job of everyone, actually, to make sure the young people are, are repre- nice representatives of Srila Prabhupada. But, but then also the old people can't just be sitting back and, and not taking up that initiative to, to give Krishna consciousness. So it has to really be both. Um, but again, I think it's based on relationship. And I think that... I re- honestly, to be candid, I, ha- I have to say, in, in my humble opinion, I think there could be more trust given f- from by the older generation to the younger generation. That if I have these affectionate, trusting, mentoring relationships, that these young young guys, young women, they know what Facebook is, they know what Twitter is. I have no idea about these things, but 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 they will be able to do wonderful things that I could never figure out if we give them the reins and we say, hey, you know, sit on the judge's bench, get the qualifications, I'm here for you. We want to be able to help you and guide you in, in the siddhanta and, and in uh, doing everything as properly as possible. But, um, yeah, that's, that's my thought. That, uh, I was also thinking that, um, let's see, maybe I'll save that. So you're asking about uh, about this vertical relationship. If I could say one other thing, um, Prema Tarangani Prabhu was where is she? She's there. So at the end of la- the last se- session, she was asking about being too harsh in our dealings with younger devotees, and sometimes we regret that we were just talking about that in the hall. And um, so yeah, it requires a lot of fine tuning and prayer and practice. And and this example of the youth and and I've also been that person, you know, maybe maybe Prema thinks of me as a soft-hearted person, but I, I know in my own experience I've had many, I have many memories in my memory bank of being that hard person and I'm going to be so fired up. <laughs> I'm going to be so fired up and I'm just going to tell the absolute truth and let the chips fall where they may and and then you know hurting really hurting people's hearts that way and sometimes that lasts for a lifetime sometimes hopefully not we're hopefully we'll be able to rectify but I was thinking there's a nice example because so many of you are doctors or engineers and and um, it takes it requires realization to know what what is the right medicine right it, and the and the doctor is as um a negotiator between the patient and the pharmacy, right? Or the engineer, you know, you have to know, do you put the gravel down first or do you put the um, tar down first? You have, to, you have to have knowledge and experience and realization. So you have to become that trained um, negotiator because otherwise I can go into a pharmacy and, and, you know, maybe if I don't know what the right medicine for me is, then, then I can, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll have a burn, I'll pour the, 
Pepto-Bismol on my burn and I'll, you know, gulp down a tube of Neosporin ointment because I don't know, you know. So the doctor, it's, it's a very, it's a very rare and trusted position to know what is the right medicine for the right patient. Otherwise, the patient can die, actually, you know. So. Okay, Newton's turn. Um, this is a guru groupism topic, and it's a temple centric kind of guru groupism. Um, seems to this person that bhakti vriksha groups surrounding temples should be based on geography, not on who's disciple is conducting this group and whose disciple is conducting that group and I may go way across town or across the other side of the city to attend my guru's group. So wouldn't it be better to structure bhakti virtue groups according to geographic areas instead of groups of gurus' disciples? I'm not clear exactly how structured bhakti vriksha groups are. I still kind of think in terms of home programs that have evolved into more sophisticated communities. And I think maybe some places are more structured than others. So I keep that in mind in terms of my answer. So whether it's a namahata or a home program or a bhakti vriksha, whatever the label is, yeah. some groups of people get together regularly. And some of those groups get together because, like we heard this in, you know, in in Chicago, without naming the name of the city, but, you know, there's three groups. This guru's group, that guru's group, and that guru's group. And they call it a Bhakti Vriksha group, but that's not what it is. It's something else. So... um, some contradictory thoughts. One is that Krishna consciousness and especially accepting association devotees is a voluntary thing. Um, At least up to a point, it's a a very voluntary thing. So let's say I live in, right now I live in Washington, D.C., and then there's a temple a bit north of I live in Rockville, Maryland. There's a Washington, D.C. temple, the main temple in Potomac. There's another temple in Baltimore. There's a community that gets together over uh, mostly a Bhakti Tirtamaraj disciples, but others as well that also has programs on a Saturday, and there's so many different Namhanta groups. But there's kind of a no-man's land up around Columbia, Maryland. And some of the people go south to the Potomac temple, and some of the people go north to the Baltimore temple. And some people depends who they're feeling good about, you know. I used to go to the Baltimore Temple, now I go to the D.C. Temple, and, and then you talk to somebody else and they say, yeah, I used to go to the D.C. Temple, now I go to the Baltimore Temple. And the main thing is kind of, well, just keep going to the temple. You know, that, that That's kind of the first thing, that people are going to spontaneously be inspired, or not spontaneously, whatever, different reasons that I just want to be with this group, or I want to be with this group, or I don't want to be with that group. So that we have to take into consideration and give people some 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 leeway on that. 
And there's a natural tendency that, that if I'm a book distributor, I want to associate with other book distributors. If I'm a brahmanchari, I want to associate with other brahmancharis. If I'm a young unmarried woman, I want to associate with other young unmarried women. If I'm a disciple of this guru, because there's a certain type of <coughs> mood or experience, or maybe we have a particular set of uh, positive experiences or, or particular types of challenges. So those things are, are natural. We can't completely set those aside. At the same time, we have to be careful, especially after we start getting a sense of what is our broader movement. <coughs> Maybe in the beginning, I just, I'm inclined to go there, that's fine, just leave it with that, and don't anybody mess with that, that's where their heart is. But as we begin to really understand we are part of an international movement, we are ultimately all loyal to Srila Prabhupada and his vision of unity and diversity and cooperation, and when we have some sense, as Rabindra Superbo in a couple sessions has pointed out, the history of how sectarianism came in and how it split Srila Bhaktisanatha's mission, then we might start thinking, well, wait a minute. Um, isn't also part of my job to kind of cross-pollinate with devotees, uh, particularly in, the, in terms of this question of different gurus? And isn't that actually part of what brings strength to us as a community? And maybe I should, uh, maybe if I like to, let's say there's a particular group that they're all disciples of my guru or in a particular mood. Okay, well maybe go there two months, two two weeks out of the month and go another place the other two two weeks, particularly because I know my generation needs to learn how to cooperate together the same way my guru's generation needed to learn to cooperate together. And, um, you know, the three of us here, and four include my wife, we, you know, we're, we're, we're all friends. We work together very closely on a lot of projects over the years. And it, it doesn't mean that everybody who was a Prabhupada's disciple, I mean, you've read some of the histories, it's not like we all had the same mood. We all got together so swell. There's all kinds of exchanges with Prabhupada. Once or twice devotees came and said, Prabhupada, I, I can't work with my God brothers. And sometimes Prabhupada said, okay, just then you just be connected with me. So those interpersonal differences are sometimes there. And we've learned to you know, work most closely with those we just naturally fit with and at the very least have respect with and work in kind of a professional manner with those that maybe we're not so interpersonally connected out of shared respect and duty for Prabhupada and his mission. So in the same way, the next generation has got to learn to do that same thing. It may be even more important for all of you because for us, if I kind of develop a sectarian or separate mentality, I go away, but everybody knows you've got to be connected with Prabhupada. There's no other choice. With your generation and the future generation, somebody could articulate, no, 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 you just go over with this person and everything's all fine. You don't need the community. But we know we definitely need the community. Your generation, that's going to be one of your big challenges to keep it together when we're not here anymore. For your generation to say, wait a minute, okay, we don't agree on everything. We may have strong differences on things, but out of fidelity to Prabhupada and Lord Chaitanya and our spiritual master who said, keep it together, because Prabhupada said keep it together, we're going to keep it together. And that may mean sometimes proactively saying, well, let me make go out of my way to show with these other groups. And one final point. <clears throat> 
Bhakti Viksha group means it's an outreach. It's not like it's kind of like a like a colony in a sense of the temple, or it's a colony. It's an outreach. It's a it's a satellite reaching out into smaller groups. And should we not want to make sure we represent ISKCON, which is the International Society for Krishna Consciousness? So if I was a Bhakti Viksha leader, I would be actively cultivating people of other gurus. Say, I need you to come because I may be presenting one side of the of the the movement. I may be presenting one particular guru, but you know, somebody comes to the temple, they may not be inclined to my particular mood of service or my particular guru. And that's fine. That's why Prabhupada's got, you know, whatever it is today, 75 different gurus, and they're all equally capable of connecting with Krishna. So I want to make sure my program's diverse enough so whoever walks in the door gets attracted. So for multiple reasons, we can understand why we may want to kind of, you know, birds of a feather flock together. But if we're a little more mature, I would suggest we should try to broaden out that Sangha and make sure we proactively also interact with people from, you know, our cousins. We don't just want to hang out with our brothers and our sisters. We've got cousins, too, and they're equally important. I'm going to respond to the following question and invite if anybody else wants to speak something on this to do so. Um, it's a comment. The comment is, over the past 15, 20 years, we're hearing much more about shiksha gurus and, um, of course, it's in Chaitanya Charitamrita about shiksha guru, but we weren't hearing so much about it before. What what? Why this change of, of or shift of or other kind of emphasis? And um, several thoughts. One is we're growing up, and reality is speaking. Um, that is to say, reality is there are multiple persons who are very mature devotees who may not be our Diksha Guru, but they're very significant persons and they become very significant persons in our lives. And that's wholesome. And it's natural and it's maturing and so it's becoming more prominent for that reason. It's one of the reasons. Another is historical, two historical reasons. One is during Srila Prabhupada's presence, he was everything. Shiksha Guru, Diksha Guru, the, the, the ultimate managing authority of ISKCON and, and everything else you can think of. He was just one person. And then after Prabhupada's departure, there were the, the governance line and the, you know, our lines of authority model, the spiritual authority model, the authority of guru. And so that opened our minds and opened our eyes. And so and devotees began reading the scripture more and then understanding these diversifications of guru. So that's another reason. The, the, the departure of Srila Prabhupada reason over a period of time devotees maturing. Then another is the, the, the great misfortune that came when some persons performing the Diksha Guru service 
stop practicing Krishna consciousness properly. And that left followers of that Diksha Guru uh, orphans or without the same shelter that they had previously and then opening up the eyes and the hearts to other forms of shelter or persons who performed that function, uh, Shiksha Guru function. And some of those persons that were then next time around Shiksha Gurus became remain Shiksha Gurus, some became also Diksha Gurus and so forth and so on. So it's, it's just, you know, circumstances and uh, historical circumstances and maturing. That's something like a garden that has different types of flowers. They're all flowers or vegetables or whatever kind of garden you, you, you're growing. And some grow this way and some you know, a little slower, a little differently and so on. So as the diversity of the garden grows through time, similarly this kind of diversification. And it's, it's wholesome. It's, it's natural. So, anyone from the audience want to explore this a little bit more? Any one of our speakers want to say something? Yes. I have one to share that in my... Here comes the microphone. <coughs> On a day-to-day basis, learning the scriptures, applying it, uh, dealing with dilemma, everything, this Shiksha Guru aspect has been tremendously beneficial. As somebody, I can open my heart to receive advice, etc. And, and it really helps that my Diksha Guru and Shiksha Guru are both uh, completely in tune with each other. So I'm receiving the same kind of, the mood is similar and the advice is similar. So it's tremendously beneficial for growing in Krishna consciousness. I, in response to what you just said, I'd like to read something from Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur that um, to me it's, it's another terminology so who needs another terminology? So it's, I'm not, not introducing it because it's, not, you know, it's another academic you know, piece of knowledge you put in your information basket. But it, to me, it, it describes something <clears throat> that seems important. So this... Um, this one, that's chakra, that reading, many of you received this, this like handout of Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu Bindu, this commentary by Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur on Rupa Goswami's Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. In one section, 
He specifically refers to Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu in a section where Guru Tattva is being examined. Vishwanath says, Rupa Goswami has identified there are three types of gurus. Now we in Chaitanya Charitamrita have Vartmar Pradarshaka Guru as one not mentioned here. It's, this is Shravan Guru. Maybe they're the same, it doesn't differentiate. Here's what it says. The person from whom one hears knowledge of the bhaktas, bhakti and bhagavat tattva is known as Shravan Guru. In the conversation between Maharaj Nimi and the Navyogendras in the 11th canto of Srimad Bhagavatam, 11.3.22. We just, you know, Tasmat Guru Prapadita, that's one of the verses. Here's another one. Tatra Bhagavatan Dharman Shikshed Guruvatma Daivataha Amayayanu Vritya Yais Tushed Atmatma Dohari. Not a direct translation. A sadhaka should adopt the practice of bhakti free from all hypocrisy. He should approach a guru who knows all the tr- all the truths related to the supreme lord and who is very dear to the lord. A, the sadhaka should receive instructions on Bhagavad Dharma from such a spiritual master by carrying out those instructions. Bhagavan, Sri Hari, personally gives himself to the devotee. This is, by the way, Shiksha Guru follows. It's another category. Paragraph. Such a person who gives instructions on how to execute bhajan is called a Shravan Guru. There may be many Shravan Gurus. Nonetheless, the sadhaka should take shelter of one, Mahatparusha, among them who is suitable to his nature and receive instruction from him regarding how to perform bhajan. Next section, Shiksha Guru. Out of many such competent Shravan Gurus, one who gives instructions in Pajan, which are just suitable to the bhava of the sadhakas called Shiksha Guru. So think about the terminology that you've been using compared to what it says here and see how close the fit is. There may be many Shiksha Gurus also. However, it is advantageous to have one Shiksha Guru in particular who is conducive to one's mood. The Shravana Guru and the Shiksha Guru are usually one and the same person as stated in Bhakti Sandarbha Anuched 206 and it quotes the Sanskrit translation. The Shravana Guru and the Bhajana Shiksha Guru are usually the same person. Unquote. The verses already cited such as Tasmat Guru Prapadyeta and then the one above Tatra Bhagavatan Dharman Shikshed and then another one Tadviganartam all of which Rabindrasura Prabhu spoke the first day and they've been spoken of since then and so on should be understood in relationship to both Shravana Guru and Shikshaguru 
And the third, Diksha Guru. One who gives a mantra for worship according to the rules and regulations of scripture is called Diksha Guru or Mantra Guru. The Diksha Guru should possess all the symptoms already described of a Mahat Purusha. Parentheses described in Sloka 4 of in reference to Sadhu Sangha. And those described in connection with Sadguru, the Diksha Guru, should be well conversant to the conclusion of the Vedas. He should be adept in so saying in in in, in uh, summary, Tasmad Guru Prapadita. Those characteristics should be there. If he is lacking in these characteristics, then the faith of the disciples will waver. Paragraph. There is only one Diksha Guru. The Shiksha Guru should be in conformity. This is an etiquette item. The Shiksha Guru should be in conformity with the Diksha Guru. Otherwise, impediments may arise in the practice of sadhana. There were some questions about that. What if Diksha Guru says this and Shiksha Guru says that? Problema. And the problema is on the side of the Shiksha Guru who should be in fidelity with the Diksha Guru's message and mood. Ordinarily, the Diksha Guru carries out the function of Shiksha Guru in his absence. One should accept an advanced devotee possessing the characteristics already described as one Shiksha Guru. Paragraph. There is no direction that permits one to renounce a Sadguru, however, then it gives the conditions where Guru can be rejected. And uh, the scriptural reference for this is in Mahabharat, where um, Bhishma Dev cites scriptural reference whereby he doesn't have to follow Parshuram's direction to marry Amba. He cites these same three, according to scripture. Um, one who has become inimical to Vaishnavas, the Shastras and Bhakti. Another. One who is engrossed in sense enjoyment. Another. One who is lacking discrimination as to what is duty and what is not duty. Because on that basis, Bhishma Dev said, I can't follow. I've taken a vow. You're asking me to break my vow. That's against what is that's against Dharma, so I I, I can't follow what you're saying. He didn't reject him, he rejected the instruction. Who is foolish and who is following a path other than Shuddha Bhakti should be given up. It is directed in various places in the Shastra that one should then take Diksha again. Note. from a Vaishnava Guru in accordance with the rules and regulations. This is the purport of the verses quoted below from Bhakti Sandarbha Anuched 2.38. And it ends, quotes the verses. In other words, one who accepts a mantra from a non-Vaishnava Guru goes to hell. Therefore, one should again receive Diksha Mantra 
from a Vaishnav guru in accordance with the rules and regulations. So, my little uh, expressing this is not, you know, confusion or something, for you know, to create confusion. Rather, um, having respect for someone who is worthy of respect and having faith in the words of one whose words have strong fidelity. In my understanding, and I invite others to correct my understanding if it's not correct, Shiksha Guru is the instructions are absolute. As the person, so the instructions. I mean, he's the position is absolute, and so the instructions. If one goes to Shiksha Guru, one should be prepared to follow. One may say, just like Arjun. Uh, and he asks, well, wait a minute, you know, I have a question. One can ask questions and seeking clarification and so forth and so on. But if one is going to approach someone in the mood of Shiksha Guru, that's an absolute position. One should be in advance, prepared to accept the Shiksha. Not, you know, negotiate. Or, you know, selectively two of those and not three of those. Or something like that. Then there's no point to it. But, so it's, it seems to me, there's another category of someone who is guiding one, who may not be in that absolute position of Shiksha Guru, and you know, perhaps this Shravan Guru is one of those. I haven't, I'm not so familiar with the terminology, so I can't, I'd like to go to Rupa Goswami, what he says about it. And Ravindra Srup Prabhu is nodding his head, so maybe you'd like to comment on this. No, no, no. I, I agree with you. This, I'd like to get a copy of this. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll send... Shraddha, you remind me, and I'll send you an electronic copy. I haven't read this. It's just a cut and paste from his commentary. Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. Vishwanath. yeah. So, I'm not like putting my foot down or anything like that. I'm making a comment about, it's, you know, it's in, our, it's in our lines of authority paper and I simply felt like, whoa, you know, but certainly at one's temple president can be a shiksha guru. And certainly one's temple president may not be a shiksha guru but one who I have great respect for, the things that I hear from, I have regard and reverence and respect and all that. But it's different than an absolute position, at least in my understanding. It's an absolute Shiksha Guru is an absolute position. And one should be qualified before one is prepared to be addressed that way or be regarded that way. You know, there's a whole bunch of these other questions that we haven't touched on yet. A shiksha guru is not a sort of a kind of a guru or a sort of a guru or a guru when you want and not a guru when you pick and choose. Pick and choose, Pick and choose, yeah. Pick, as they say. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean. So I just don't know what the, what the term shravan guru, maybe that would cover the temple president uh, in certain respects. And, yeah, but I, I, that, that's uh, interesting. Yeah. 
So it's like there's a bunch of these questions that have a, another terminology because myself and others in, in, in the service of guiding and leading others um, I use the term mentor in Chelpati is the counselor system and the counselor is not may or may not be Shikshaguru it's not like because someone's a counselor therefore they're a Shikshaguru because they're a counselor they're a counselor because they're a mentor they're a mentor because they're a guide they're guiding that doesn't mean because they're guiding their position is to be accepted as absolute from the other side of the one being guided nor should the expectation be projected upon them that they're a perfect being in all respects they never make mistakes or any of that kind of stuff you know they're, they're, they're an Uttama Adhikari mentor that's a mistake they're guiding and you know there is there is that tendency even I don't know it's probably in your disciple course that projecting that image upon the Diksha Guru he's supposed to be an Uttamadikari and flawless and then whoops somebody slips and crashes and then whoa my, my world picture just crashed and so we shouldn't falsely project that upon Diksha Guru Shikshu but the position doesn't change what the position is of specifically Shiksha Guru Diksha Guru it's the position <clears throat> the service that's to be carried out is representative of Krishna through disciplic succession which is not the same as you know your Bhakti Viksha leader or your temple president necessarily maybe your temple president and your or your bhakti bhikshu group leader have that qualification maybe anyway invite any other comments on this if you'd like to I also want to read this too that <clears throat> certainly it seems they without studying it closely would be a shravana guru at least they're one who's giving instructions um Bhagavad Bhakti. Yes, so if, if, if I go to the temple for the first time and the Bhakta leader or a congregational leader or someone who's even relatively very young gives me appropriate instructions on Bhakti, that's kind of a Shravana Guru. I don't necessarily begin immediately to follow everything they say, but they've certainly showing the path helping me advance. And I, I think one thing just to add to the discussion that in all contexts, I, I think I've probably given the example that if you want to buy a diamond, the first thing you have to do is educate yourself what's a diamond or else you'll certainly be cheated. You just go to the store and say, I've got $1,000. Can you please sell me a diamond? You might walk, what's it called? You might walk out with a Kubert zirconia. The, the, or a piece of glass. So, you know, part of the process as, as disciples and as devotees first coming is that we we also were educated to what are the qualified, what are the qualities of a bona fide spiritual master, and if the temple president or the bhakta leader, bhakta viksha leader, what's Krishna's instruction? If this instruction is helping me surrender to Krishna, then I should follow it more. And as as you pointed out, even with with. Uh, Bhishma, when his guru disagreed with Dharma, which was go ahead and break your vow, he said, "No, I can't do this." So he knew he, he he knew the check and balances. So that's that's also part of the fact that we have to have in there too, that um, 
Um, I remember <clears throat> the devotee that talked me into coming to, not talked me, the devotee that kind of like one of the critical people that enthused me, helped me make the decision to move into the temple and give my life to Krishna consciousness. Three months later he left and there was some scandal about his behavior. He was one of the officers of the temple. He was a senior devotee, highly revered, great preacher. And, and But it's like, okay, now he's going to go do something else. So at that point, I need to know enough that I'm not going to follow him off to do his nonsense because I, I understood the difference. And one of the points Maharaj mentioned earlier that kind of drew our attention to valuing the different types of spiritual mentors or gurus was an awareness that sometimes people in the material world is difficult. Sometimes people in, in top leadership, spiritual leadership positions, ISKCON leadership positions sometimes go away. And I can remember periods of time. There was one guru, I don't know how many years ago, some of you may remember, one of the earlier ones that had serious problems. And um, in Mayapur, kind of all kind of hit the fan in Mayapur. And he had his people like marching up and down with loudspeakers around the campus. You know, Guru Maharaj is now in Navadweep. Everyone who's a faithful follower of Guru Maharaj, please come now. And I remember recently hearing this story from some devotees in Detroit that it kind of broke into like a fist fight because one of those devotees said, I'm going. And they said, well, not with that sleeping bag. That belongs to Iskan Detroit. <laughs> so, you know, those... T- yes. Yeah, I turned that okay. just recently. Yeah. So... Um, you know, so, so a realization that, you know, we also, we have our check and balance system there. So, you know, okay, Nutama is a GBC, he's a proper disciple, he's a communications minister, but he just said something that's really off. Okay, all respects, but we're not going to follow that. Thank you very much. You know, you need to get your fever down, and then we'll listen to you a little more carefully. So, you know, as far as six gurus and different instructions, that we have to be smart, know what the diamond is, know what legitimate instruction is, and, and, and um, as long as we know it's legitimate, it may not be the, something that our false ego likes to hear. It may not be what my personal conception wanted, but if it's in line with Guru Shastra and Sadhu, I have to follow. And I should have enough intelligence that in the rare case when some of those instructions or if there's a spiritual leader, temple president, whatever, have some difficulties, okay, I take what they gave me that's Krishna conscious and now it's time to like shut off that valve. Okay. You have a specific question for Rabindra. So does somebody else. We'll do the one that's here and then I'm going to give a question to Rukmini to respond to. Uh, yeah, that's to you. Did you do it already? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. And then we'll get to your question. Uh, the question here is, if I have been engaged in devotional service for many years, but haven't found my spiritual master, what is the meaning of this? Not what to do, but what's the meaning of it? What's the meaning of it? I would have to ask some other questions to find out what the meaning is. My first question would be, what would it take, or what what would have to happen for you to have recognized your spiritual master? How would you know if you found the spiritual master or not? Because we have to see what 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 are the expect what you, because it might be, you know. You want to see somebody coming down from heaven trailing clouds of glory? I, I don't know. But yeah, people might have quite 
unreal expectations. I, I, when I see them, I expect to recognize them. A halo, this is my beloved son of whom I am well pleased. You know, something, a voice from heaven. That may be realistic. But someone was. Uh, but there must be some idea of wh- how, if you're looking, then you have to know what you're looking for, and when you found it, you have to know the criterion. So maybe there's some confusion, uh, uh, because maybe you've you've found but haven't recognized. I mean, there can be cognition without recognition and knowledge without acknowledgement. So that's that's one thing. Um, um, uh, the other reason that one one should, should wonder why many years, whether I really have a reluctance, because finding the spiritual master, we're talking about a diksha guru. The diksha guru is not uh, simply a matter of getting a mantra, although that's involved. But for us, it's taking vows. It's really making a commitment. Uh, when when we we may be doing uh, chanting 16 rounds already, uh, when we make do chant those 16 rounds with a commitment, with a vow, it becomes more powerful. That's why vratas are important because of that, that that taking of the vow makes the procedure that we're undergoing uh, more potent. Uh, this is just a spiritual fact. So maybe, and then of course it's to break that vrata is a little devastating. So maybe one is afraid of, without acknowledging it, of, of commitment, afraid of uh, 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 taking the vows. Uh, uh, and uh, so one should examine one's own heart to see if actually, without, uh, without uh, being fully conscious of it, I'm actually afraid. Uh, of the commitment that's involved with diksha. Uh, and then I should un- try to understand what, what is the source of that fear and why I'm afraid of it and what's going on. So and those are my, those are the kinds of questions that I, I would, I would be asking to try to get to the bottom of this, uh, uh, the, the meaning, the meaning of it. And of course it's quite possible that just uh, time has to pass <laughs> but I, I can't say just on the information I, I have here okay Rukmini you want to say your question and then the answer how do you respond to someone who says Vani is eternal Vapu is temporary therefore my Siksha guru is Srila Prabhupada Thus, I don't need diksha since Prabhupada's siksha is eternal. Da, 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 da. So this is in a nutshell Ritvik philosophy. This is what the Ritvik community says. I mean, it, there there is some truth here in, in the sense that Srila Prabhupada is the Siksha Guru of all of us. Anyone who is um, 
inspired by the Krishna consciousness movement should be and, and is being inspired by Srila Prabhupada as Siksha Guru for all I think that's what the paper the Prabhupada's founder Acharya is really saying that Prabhupada is that Siksha Guru for for um, you know for off into all times and places. But the fact is Srila Prabhupada also says that the Diksha Guru is essential and the tradition teaches that the Siksha Guru is essential. And again, it, it may not be that that must happen today. I think we tend to be very passionate as Westerners and, and um, well, you know, that person hasn't appeared as, as um, you know, in my life, has, hasn't descended from heaven in my life right now. But it doesn't have to be today. It doesn't necessarily have to be tomorrow. But, but that relationship has to be made. There's a, an essential connection that's made. It's, it's compared to um, auditing courses or formerly entering the university for, for credit. So that diksha, that initiation by the diksha guru is, is like formally entering the university and saying, yes, I, I'm entering, I will be um, liable to the rules of the university and I expect to graduate. Also, it seems to me important that we talk about Sadhu Shastra Guru. So we have the Srila Prabhupada's writings, Shastra. We have the, the sacred principles that are being discussed right now, Siksha Guru, Diksha Guru. But it seems to me that the, the position of Sadhu needs to really be um, enhanced or given more understanding because, um, because there are holy Sadhus all around us and I mean, personally, when I look, when I read Chaitanya Charitamrita and I look at the relationships between the devotees in Chaitanya Lila, we can see that they're all serving together. They have many, many different gurus and they're all serving together in, in, in different ways and being, um, and being inspired and, um, you know, enriched by that diversity. I think that's really important, and I think it's something that there's a little bit of a gap to me. At least I perceive this that between ISKCON and the um, pages of the Chaitanya Charitamrita, that we need to be enriched by that kind of diversity of voices. We need to be hearing from other people. And, and personally, I mean, I know that's how my mind works. When I hear the same principle stated in slightly different words, all of a sudden my kind of hackneyed familiarity breeds contempt kind of brain wakes up and thinks, Oh, yeah, well, that's what my Guru Maharaj was talking about that I didn't quite understand. Here I'm hearing it in these different um, words. Even Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur talks about this. You know, when I see the worship of another religious tradition, but I recognize that they're, they're worshiping my same beloved Krishna, but just in a different way that's not comprehensible to me, that I should be en- enriched by that. I should be inspired by that. So, um, yeah, I think... Um, we have to understand Srila Prabhupada is Siksha Guru to all of us. All of us and, and Diksha is essential. And um, yeah, that um, being enriched by a diversity of voices and still keeping the, um, the exclusivity, you could say, because in one sense there's inclusivity. I think someone, one of the Russian devotees was saying to me yesterday, Kat, Kate? 
was saying that uh we were saying that that you know that 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 just this enrichment of of so many different voices is is interesting and um but then there's a you know there's an so that there's an inclusivity when we when we're enriched by hearing different voices but then there's also something very exclusive about the love i have to my own guru my own diksha guru siksha guru so we don't want to not be chaste not be have fidelity to our own guru but still we can be enriched and um I just think of this one little story. We have a devotee in our community in Washington who's a pastoral counselor, and he was working on his Ph.D., and he was telling his professor in this program about his experience in worshiping in our temple, and he was saying it's not unusual in our temple to have um, a young teenage girl with a ring in her nose, a young American teenage girl, dancing next to an elderly Indian lady with a ring in her nose. (laughs) And uh, this professor said something very wise. He said, yes, um, diversity is easy, but intimacy is very difficult. So it's very interesting. So to me, you know, I think of that kind of dichotomy between inclusivity, which we all want to to foster in our community, but also that there's always going to be that exclusive love. And not everyone, you know, if I'm initiated by Romafat Swami, maybe someone else doesn't share that same exclusive love and, and intimacy that I feel when I'm hearing from him. But that's okay for them because they have their their Diksha Guru and we should all just be enriched by by that. I think that's really important. You're next. Since ISKCON gurus are bona fide gurus, bona fide links in the chain of disciplic succession, why are the pictures their pictures not permitted next to Shita Prabhupada during the few minutes of performing RT in the temple? What messages are we sending to our kids and future generations about the position of guru? And second part, why not give a full explanation when and why these adjustments are made and publicize as much as the policy itself? Well, as far as explaining and publicizing, I work in communications, so I won't take any responsibility for that part of the question. Um, the first part, I think I was thinking about this. I actually chatted with the person who wrote the question earlier, so tough luck, you lost the draw twice. I got the question twice, but I'll do the best I can with it. Um, one could ask this, if Iskand gurus are bona fide gurus, why can't I wear a button of my guru? If Iskand gurus are bona fide gurus, why can't we put their picture on the wall of the temple? I want a t-shirt. I, I want a banner across the front of the temple. And if Iskand gurus are bona fide gurus and I'm meant to authorize in the Shasta to worship the guru in a glorious fashion on his Vyasa Puja day, because I maybe I've got more money than somebody else's guru, then I should spend opulently on his Vyasa Puja and we're going to fill the whole temple with roses and someone else maybe. Why can't I spontaneously show that? Um, T-shirts, hats, buttons, etc. And roses. <laughs> roses. Roses and roses, yeah. And banners. <laughs> there's two things. One, <clears throat> we can't.
can, we should, we encourage devotees to show their devotion to their spiritual master. It's an essential part of the process, as we've been hearing for two and a half days. That shouldn't be checked. And at the same time, you could say, and I'll broaden a little bit, say there's a young couple. Okay, we hear about devotional love, and we know that, you know, there is meant to be affection between family members, so, you know, why can't I smother my child with kisses kisses in the back of the room, or, you know, husband and wife, why can't we hug in the temple or hold hands during kirtan? Because it's a social question. It's part of it. It's a social question. And... Um, I remember I went to an Indian wedding years ago at a hotel, and there was a the Indian priest was an Iskand priest. At the end, he said something like, "Okay, as they do in American weddings, now you may kiss the bride." And before he said that, he said, "Now in India, we don't do these things, but just this one time, you can kiss the bride because it makes the mother and father very uncomfortable. But here, you can do this one time." So. In a social setting, certain things are appropriate and certain things are, are inappropriate. And we we saw practically, after Prabhupada's disappearance from this world, we didn't really know how to worship a guru in a multi-guru environment. We just didn't know. And those of you that lived through that situation, I mean, I can remember one year in Mayapur, there were 12, was it 12? 11, 12 Vyasa sons. You know, bigger than where Prabhupada's sitting now, if I remember correctly. And it, it filled almost the whole temple room. Because, you know, all 12 had to get the big seat. And in, in Denver, when I was in Denver, there was a bhakta that picked up a little bit about worship of Guru. And he, he, he built this Vyasa sun that looked like a rocket ship. It was at least seven or eight feet high with a big point, And he brought it in. And, you know, I think Svavas Prabhu, the president, gracefully received it for about 24 hours. And I don't know what we did with it. We said it was too valuable. Someone broke in and stole it from the temple. Or I don't know what they said. But it was kind of becomes inappropriate. So it's a question of where do we draw the line that we are enthusing devotion for an individual Diksha Guru and in a healthy way and at the same time not in not kind of stepping on the toes of someone else. So if that's why I like the button rule and all that, you know, you know, Shraddha decides one day Dasi to wear you know a big button or Vinasarup Prabhu. Well, that's wonderful, but what about my guru? So then I go get a T-shirt that's bigger than her, her button, you know. And then the next day, somebody drives in with a car that's painted Guru Dave Kijai with a big picture on the hood. And you know, it sounds kind of funny, but it, it, we 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 started to get into those kind of things. And and it is, um, you know, with all due respect, some of our Christian friends, you know, they have this kind of exclusivity we can really see. And if you go really extreme, you look at some of the fun fundamentalism that's happening in the world. Our way is the way and anything else is not only less or wrong, but a killable offense. I mean, that's the extreme extremes of this kind of sectarianism. So within our own society, we're trying to balance how do we facilitate and encourage this natural devotion for Guru? How do we facilitate the process, which is, you, you know, you will worship the Guru and that you can't worship the deities without worshiping the Guru, but in such a way that and it facilitates this, the, the, the whole, the broader community. So, you know, in some of the particulars, you know, okay, the, guru, the Guru's picture should be there, but maybe not here, maybe a little off to the side. 
Maybe a detail, but in sense of working together as a community, we do have leadership, and the GBC says, okay, let's let's balance these two principles in this way. So, with an understanding that we're trying to achieve those two principles, and I would feel, I mean, in out of respect for their genuine attempt to try to balance those principles, let's honor that with an understanding. No one's trying to decrease my appreciation. As far as the kids go, to be able to say, you know, to my, you know, grandson, there is daddy's guru. Picture is there now. Well, why is he only there now and not later? Well, because there's another Pujari coming and they're going to bring their Guru's picture. Why is it a little smaller? Well, because we understand Prabhupada's the preeminent Siksha Guru founder. You know, these things can be explained. As far as about publicizing them, yeah, much more needs to be done and much more needs to be done. I think, like the, last year, this one resolution about. Focusing on chanting the Maha Mantra and not getting carried away, Radhe, Radhe, Radhe. Now, if you live in a community where that doesn't happen a lot, you might think, well, are they banning us from chanting Radhe, Radhe? No, but those of us that sat in the meeting and heard stories of Rathiatras in some parts of the world where devotees chanted Radhe, 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 Radhe for 15 minutes, and you go, oh, I don't remember Prabhupada ever saying that. And even people, if I remember some of the stories told to us, you know, people coming up and saying, please chant the Maha Mantra, and them saying, no, you know, that's not our bhava or whatever. So, you know, it's like, whoa. So then, you know, the GBC members kind of go, oh, geez, you know, I mean, we all kind of look at each other like, do we have to put this in a law? You know, but then you get like six sannyasis and ten temple presents saying, please put this in a law because it's become an issue. And so, you know, we sit down and hear arguments and counter-arguments. And that particular one came to us, I think, a year or two ago. And we all said, we're not going to deal with it. And then it came back a year later. You have to deal with it. Now, the, what's pointed out here is, well, so we pass a resolution. Well, you know, where's the purport? Where's the public? That That's not being done. And anyone has any spare time, you'd like to offer a few hours to the communications ministry, please see me afterwards. There's lots of things we should be doing. I learned this word should again from my mentor in Chicago. We should be doing more things, so we need to do a lot of things better. I just wanted to say in that regard that um, some of these GBC resolutions or, or little laws, uh, details, they, sometimes they sound, um, why is this even being said, as my husband was explaining, but we have to really understand it in context that uh, some of these things are in context, or most of them, many of them are in context of the overreactions of, of the past. So trying to move us to a middle point, there's a pendulum swing, so trying to um, see it in context is, is very, very important. So it may not make so much sense to me, but if we have trust for these people and their experience, we can see that they're, they're working with excesses of the past and trying to prevent um, inappropriate behaviors in the future. So just a thought. I'll say something. Um, the whole the whole topic has resurfaced within the GBC you know the where the pictures go specific to what about future generations and um, you know it's just very much like what Rukmini said something was done in the past because of excesses it doesn't mean that excesses can't happen in the future so but 
at the same time, the future does have a longer disciplic succession than what's on our altar and what are we going to do. Those contemplations are being taken, you know, so many, you know, some, whatever it is, number of years, 20-something years after those excesses, and we did a certain set of things. And there's a, there's a number of those types of considerations. So I'm going to um, go on to another question, and it'll be a short answer, I think. Um, this is this is a question about you know the, the relationship of the spiritual master and disciple being eternal. So you know when that wonderful day comes that we go back to Godhead, what's the spiritual master relationship going to look like? You know that one, right? You know the question? Yeah, I know the question. I'm looking at our audience, seeing if it's registering. Mm-hmm. Prabhupada didn't speak so much about it, so I'm not going to speak so much about it. Uh, I've heard this speculation and that speculation, and I'm not going to repeat it, because, you know, largely it's speculation. Other than saying the relationship is eternal, And in some form or fashion, the relationship of disciple to spiritual master is eternal. I mean, for example, some of you here are disciples of Bhakti Tirtha Maharaj. And the conviction amongst his disciples, and even those who are not his disciples, is wherever Prabhupada is, that's where Bhakti Tirtha Swami is. Whatever that is, the relationship is so strong. He is wherever Prabhupada is, whatever that is. So, you know, wait till you get there and then you'll find out what it is. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> it might be pointed out also that for those of us who are followers of Lord Chaitanya, our destination in the spiritual world, we're in two places at once. Yes, it's very fascinating. When Prabhupada says we shall have another ISKCON there, I assume that means in Goralila. Yeah. There's an ISKCON there. <laughs> No GBC. <laughs> no ISKCON law book either. <laughs> but it's there. And, uh, <laughs> so, Himangi, you can address your question. Prabhu, my question is regarding what you presented in the morning. Um, regarding the bridge books that are coming up um, and I'm able to appreciate your viewpoints uh, but there's one thing that's uh, still on my mind and I wanted clarification or your input on that that would be very helpful you Um, when Prabhupada came in the 60s he had this heavy accent that many Americans could not follow and he presented Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur's teaching as it is. Uh, even though he understood that uh, the youngsters may not be, the Americans would not be able to understand, but he presented as it is. He didn't change anything. And this whole movement started from there. And I, like, one of the appreciation that I have over Prabhupada is that his books are still very, like, his books are potent because he has put everything in his books. And um, even today I feel they're very relevant and they can 
inspire and change new uh, the contemporary audience so uh, like this is my first question so i'm still not able to uh, fully um, kind of uh, understand why we need to have instead of prabhupad books why do we feel that there has to be this kind of bridge books which will help people come to krishna consciousness that's a good question um first of all uh prabhupad wanted his disciples to write books i was with him once he pointed out you see all our books now you read these books and you write books about these books <laughs> so he he wanted us to uh to do that uh uh even though his books are sufficient and all those things like that he wanted us to that's the parampara we are he said we are the sampradaya of the book you know lord brahma has a book in one hand <laughs> so he said that we're noted for book production so as krishna is inexhaustible so the number of books written about krishna <laughs> Okay also inexhaustible so that that's that's just one 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 part of it Prabhupada's uh, first was difficult for us to understand when he spoke uh, I remember what happened is when I was a new devotee uh, RGBC Rupanuga came in those days the the cassettes hadn't come out we heard Prabhupada's lecture on a real to real you know a big groom dig real to real thing he brought a thing and we sat down and he had us listen to Prabhupada's lecture and go over it until we could understand his accent so there was some training there actually going on so that people who who at first couldn't follow Srila Prabhupada's accent and it did take very long and after a while you could wasn't a barrier uh, at all uh, uh, for 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 us um uh, so, so um but as time goes on uh Prabhupada Prabhupada in his books purports he refers to hippies uh, after a while nobody remember what a hippie is though some kind of weird thing in the past you know you, you may have to another reason to write books about those books is, is to bring uh, again uh, what Prabhupada is saying uh, uh, to to an audience that's not familiar anymore with the issues in the environment that Srila Prabhupada was writing about uh, if if our movement is successful after a while people will say what's a mayavadi you ever heard of one of those yeah, before yeah. you know i mean they might, they might. <laughs> i don't think that'll actually happen but some of the things that that were uh, you know current uh, at his time may no longer and there may be other new concerns to which we have to apply krishna consciousness and so that's another reason so a living tradition means it keeps on going uh, and for us as founder acharya shila prabhupad's books will always be the basis they will always be in print and we will always be guiding people to those books and teaching those books i think that will always be happening so that my next question is like 20 30 years down the lane what, how can we determine how, what prabhupad is what part of what prabhupad has given we can modify 
you know that's the fear i have like on what basis can we make the decision that we can modify this uh, because this is required we feel it's necessary for this time place and circumstance well uh, modify means change the application of some of his instructions according to the time place and circumstances right i don't think it means changing his books no okay so that 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 probably entrusted that job to the governing body commission that, that that's the that's the highest authority a managing authority in iscon and the gbc is the body that makes those kinds of decisions is not one person they really have to come to an agreement about how you can modify change things to deal with certain circumstances and still preserve the 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 essential parts probably certain change things he decided you know 16 rounds a day was going to be the standard uh that uh, different from what uh, was maybe the standard in the in the Godia mat well they had a sliding standard actually if you didn't have any other service but lived in the temple 64 rounds a day and and, and there were people who were very busy only 4 rounds a day and i can see what would happen if probably like had a sliding standard who <laughs> would have gone to the 4 for everybody pretty soon but anyway that was his decision to make and and uh i i i think when it comes to applying things according to time place and circumstance uh my my uh, uh conviction is that the gbc is very very careful and these things are debated for quite some time and there's differences of opinion and there will be differences differences of opinion but probably said you know he said that 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 i when when i maybe any one of you does something that may be debated but if you all come together and you come to conclusion and that that's really he he has confidence in that and for ourselves we should simply become uh as we uh, hopefully advance in krishna consciousness become better and better judges of these kinds of things in the beginning the gbc made mistakes uh uh they can still make mistakes but it's also self correcting uh uh body but it, it but it's 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 the authority the, the gbc instituted uh, this zonal acharya system in in the beginning uh, i was one of the people that ended up being a leader to to change this this zonal acharya system uh, because it was pulling us kind of apart is con in the different geographical zones for each guru was more unified than the movement as a whole that was my main concern about this system the i was writing papers at no time did the gbc tell me to stop if they had i would have because i respected their authority but there was enough people in the gbc to think well you know maybe we need to listen to this and maybe we should see what's going on and and so on and so so eventually it was changed so 
that's the kind of thing that happens in the world. But the GBC authority should be uh, should be respected because it is it is the authority. Now, Prabhupada pointed this out to Kirtananda, who disagreed with him. And Prabhupada said, doesn't matter whether what you think of me. In every organization, there's someone at the head, and that person has to be followed. That's a principle. Uh, and, and so we follow that principle. Uh, one more follow-up thought that's coming is that it seems like at, uh, as Prabhupada disciples, there doesn't seem to be like... Um, a concern about this, but where we are and uh, where we are preaching, what I have noticed is that there is a when a new person comes to the temple, there is a push to give the book of a particular spiritual master because it's one of those bridge books, you know, because Prabhupada's Bhagavad Gita may be too much for them to understand. And then after giving that, then the next thing is, oh, would you like to meet? You know, such and such sannyasi. And then, without, and when they meet, like, you know, eventually it's a, like a group, a study group, like a thing, like a bhakti viksha. Mm-hmm. And I have seen that the bhakti viksha facilitator takes the guru's book and is discussing that book instead of Prabhupada's book. So that's the fear I have. It's not that it's wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong, but there is a, the other side, which you know, at, at the ground level, what's happening. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing. Then the focus goes away from Prabhupada's books, and it's more about. It's not. The, I'm very happy, and I'm. I like to read, and I'm very happy that Virat Swami Maharaj, yourself, Tamal Krishna Maharaj, you all have written so many books, and it's very inspiring. But it's different when we are in a formal study setting um, as an extension of a temple program. Instead of Prabhupada's books, these books have been discussed. Uh, well, uh, let's ask the chairman of the GBC. <laughs> because I, th- I think there are certain policies and procedures uh, for this that, 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 uh, that, that people really should uh, be introduced uh, there is a disciples course there's things like that the disciples course is not yet mandatory right? John Mastomy, next John Mastomy in some so, places it's already mandatory so the, the, the part of this idea is, 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 is to and if it's not happening it should come to the you know, GBC's attention that somehow or other Srila Prabhupada's books are not not giving the, the position that they they, they should be given because uh, to, to me you know uh, the, the Bhagavad Gita is a, a very easy book to understand and Prabhupada had a really I mean you said that he rep- he did Prabhupada very much represented Bhakti Siddhanta without any change but you read their language you look at Bhakti Siddhanta's language and you look at Prabhupada's language you think wow I remember when I first got a book of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati when I was in Mayapur, and I would read this language trying to figure it out. And after I spent, you know, a couple of hours on a page, I realized I already knew it already. I knew it already. Prabhupada had already taught us, but he did it in the, the, the very, you know, simple language. So that was Prabhupada's really a, a gift for making things uh, very simple and intelligible like that. Uh, so that was quite something else but it took me like two hours or three hours to read a page and find out I already understood it but I already knew it (laughs) didn't even know I knew it (laughs) 
say anything more about that? I, um, I'm just looking at the clock. And what do you all want to do? You want to, like, follow our schedule? Next morning. <laughs> we do that sometimes. We do follow schedules. And I'm, I'm inclined to be a schedule follower because while we're having a great time together, I know people have to go places and do things, and some people have to go far distances, and they don't want to get up in the middle of something that's exciting and stuff like that. I like to begin on time and end on time. It's like, you know, it's a novel. Sometimes we do that. So if you, I see Atma invited us, like, very enthusiastic to discuss this point some more. So why don't you come up and have a little dialogue with somebody up here on this point. And similarly, any of you know, so those of you who wish to stay and have some informal discussion, come on up and go wherever you want to go and discuss. But we're going to end our little gathering here. And... Um, Thank you all for coming. <laughs> and we look forward to seeing you in Gita Nagari again. Uh, we won't be doing something Labor Day weekend because right after Labor Day weekend is Janmashtami. Something, we'll see what happens in Memorial Weekend. Anyway, and, and come whenever you can to Gita Nagari. It's a wonderful place. Those of you that aren't regular visitors here. Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm very enlightened. All of the persons in attendance. One of the, one of the feedback items that regularly comes when something like this takes place is, you know, it's really inspiring to see the senior devotees shoulder to shoulder and sharing and having fun together and just presenting and this multiple voice thing that someone said and so. Thank you for participating. And let's, let's, you know, see what happens next time. Srila Prabhupada ki. Shishi Radha Dhamadar ki. Gaur Pimanandi.